Lesson 11 for September 5 to 11, Paul, Background and Call. Sabbath afternoon, September 5. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are going to study about Paul this week, a man who came from one direction but ended up in going in another, just like many of us. And as we look at his story, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us, that one, we will see Jesus, and two, we will have our lives changed in a way that will help us to share the love of Jesus with those about us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Acts chapter 9, verses 15 to 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show you how much he must suffer for my name. Let's read that again, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. One of the most central figures in the New Testament was Paul, originally Saul of Tarsus. Paul was to the early Christian church what Moses was to the children of Israel. The difference is that while Moses brought God's people out from the Gentiles in order that Israel would be able to do God's will, Paul brought God's word from Israel to the Gentiles in order that the Gentiles could do the same, that is, to do God's will. More is known about Paul than any other first century Christian. He is especially remembered for his significant contributions that have influenced Christian outreach during the past two millennia. His missionary visits and activities to the nations around the Mediterranean Sea set a powerful example for Christian missions in coming generations. Paul is credited with lifting biblical absolutes from their Jewish culture, where civil, ritual and moral laws were so integrated into the fabric of Jewish life that there was hardly any distinction between the Jewish custom and what they thought was God's everlasting message to the nations. This week, we will take our first look at someone who, other than Jesus himself, is thought by many to be the most important figure in the New Testament. Sunday, September 6, Saul of Tarsus. Saul was born in Tarsus, an important town on the trade route between Syria and Western Asia, as we read in Acts 22.3. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. Tarsus was a multicultural centre of industry and learning, and home for a short time to Rome's most famous orator and senator, Cicero. Paul's parents were diaspora Jews, Jews who were not living in the land of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. His birth name was Saul, or Hebrew Shaul, 
asked for of God. Though after he began his mission to the Gentiles, Acts 13 verse 9, he took the name Paul, Latin Paulus, name of a prominent Roman family. Also, since he was a Pharisee, Paul probably had a wife, though we know nothing about her. In fact, we don't know much about his family at all, though a sister and a nephew are mentioned in Acts 23 verse 16. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul was also a Roman citizen, as we read in Acts chapter 22 verses 25 to 28. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Saul was probably educated in a synagogue school in Tarsus until twelve years of age, followed by rabbinic study in Jerusalem with the famous rabban. This honorary title meant our rabbi, Gamaliel, as we read in verse 3. Like most Jewish males, he learned a trade, in his case, tent-making, as we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent-makers. As already stated, Paul was a Pharisee, as we read in Philippians 3, 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, meaning separated ones, were known for insisting that all the laws of God, both those written in the books of Moses as well as those handed down verbally by generations of scribes, were binding on all Jews. Their strict patriotism and detailed obedience to Jewish laws could make them appear to their fellow Jews as hypocritical and judgmental. Paul, however, did not hide the fact that he and his father were Pharisees. Paul's Pharisaic background was an important element in his successful missionary work for both Jews and Gentiles. It equipped him with detailed knowledge of the Old Testament, the only scriptures available to early Christians. It also acquainted him with the scribal additions to and expansions of the Old Testament laws. He was thus the apostle best qualified to discern between timeless, scripture-based divine absolutes on the one hand, and later Jewish cultural additions, which were not binding, and which therefore could be ignored by Gentile followers of Jesus. As we have seen, this issue would become a very important one in the life of the early church. Today, too, the role of culture in the church increases issues for the church to address. So, to finish today, which of our Christian beliefs seems to conflict most sharply with the surrounding culture? How do you deal with the conflict without compromising what must never be compromised?
Monday, September 7. Paul the Man. Personality traits are an individual's typical responses to surrounding domestic, cultural or educational circumstances. Character is the combination of traits, qualities and abilities that make up what sort of person an individual is. Question. Read Romans chapter 9 verse 1, Philippians 3 verses 6 and 8, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 1, 16, Galatians 1, 14 and 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 33. What do these texts tell us about Paul's character and personality? First of all, Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 and 8. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And Galatians 1.14 And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 33. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labours more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying." In Damascus, the governor, under Aretas the king, was guiding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped 
from his hands. Paul was clearly a man of great conviction and zeal. Before his born-again experience, he used his zeal to persecute the early church. He supported the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, took the initiative in imprisoning Christian women as well as men in Acts chapter 8, made murderous threats against the disciples in Acts chapter 9, and organized a raid on Christians in a foreign country in Acts chapter 9 and Galatians chapter 1. At the same time, too, we can see how Paul's zeal and fervency were to be used for good as he dedicated his life to the preaching of the gospel, despite incredible hardships and challenges. Only a man totally dedicated to what he believed would have done as he did. Though he lost all things for Christ, he counted them as rubbish, which comes from a Greek word that means something that is useless, like garbage. Paul understood what was important in life and what wasn't. Paul was also a humble man, no doubt partly from the guilt of his former persecution of Christians, he viewed himself as unworthy of his high calling, and also as someone who preached the righteousness of Christ as our only hope of salvation, he knew just how sinful he was in contrast to a holy God, and such knowledge was more than enough to keep him humble, surrendered, and grateful. From Steps to Christ, page 29, we read, one ray of the glory of God, one gleam of the purity of Christ penetrating the soul, makes every spot of defilement painfully distinct, and lays bare the deformity and defects of the human character. It makes apparent the unhallowed desires, the infidelity of the heart, the impurity of the lips. So to finish today, none of us is immune to pride. How should focusing on the cross and what it means cure anyone of that sin? Tuesday, September 8, from Saul to Paul. Question. Read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22, the story of Paul's conversion. How was this experience linked to his missionary calling? Also, look at Acts chapter 26, verses 16 to 18. Well, first of all, Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Then Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. 
Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who come on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit." Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So, when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And Acts chapter 26, beginning at verse 16. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which have you have seen, and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I will send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Right from the start, it was clear that the Lord had intended to use Paul to reach both Jews and Gentiles. No other event in Paul's preparation as missionary and theologian compared in importance to his conversion. Indeed, often in his witness he would talk about that experience. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see in me. Paul couldn't preach or teach about what he didn't know. No, indeed, he would preach and teach out of his own experiences with and knowledge of the Lord all the time in harmony with the Word of God. Let's look at Romans 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. Question. Read Acts chapter 26, verse 18. 
What would be the result of Paul's work? Acts chapter 26, verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. From this we can see five results of authentic missionary work. Open people's eyes. Make God real and Jesus real present, active and appealing. 2. Move from darkness to light, ignorance to knowledge, a core gospel theme as we read in Luke one seventy-eight and 79 through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. 3. Turn from the power of Satan to God. 4. Receive forgiveness of sins. The problem of sin has a solution. This is the living, healing, core message of Christians. And 5. Receive a place among the sanctified. This means membership in God's church, regardless of ethnicity, gender or nationality. So to finish today, if someone were to ask you, what about your own experience with Jesus? What can you tell me about him? What would you say? Wednesday, September 9, Paul in the Mission Field Romans 15 verse 19 reads, From Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Question. What crucial element for any kind of mission work can we find in this text? Also have a look at 1 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Corinthians 2.2, Galatians 6.14 and Philippians 1.15-18. Well, first of all, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And Philippians 1 verses 15 to 18. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. One thing is certain about all Paul's missionary endeavours. No matter where he went, the preaching of Christ and him crucified was central to his message. By making it so, he was being faithful to the call that Christ had first given him, that he should preach about Jesus. The message for missions today is obvious. 
Whatever else we preach and teach, and as Seventh-day Adventists, we have been given so much that needs to be shared with the world, we must keep Christ and Him crucified at the front and centre of all our outreach and mission work. Paul, though, didn't preach Jesus just as some sort of objective truth and then go on his merry way. Central to his work was to raise up churches, to start Christian communities region by region throughout his part of the world, wherever he could. In the truer sense, his work was church planting. There is another element to Paul's missionary work as well. Question. Read Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. What does it sound like Paul is saying, that is, is his evangelism or discipleship? Colossians 1, 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. If one reads many of Paul's epistles, it's clear that they often are not evangelistic at least in the sense that we use the term, that of reaching out to the unchurched. On the contrary, many of the letters were written to established church communities. In other words, included in Paul's missionary endeavours was the work of pastoral care, edification and nurturing the churches. So, we can see at least three central elements to Paul's visionary activity, proclaiming Jesus, church planting, and nurturing established churches. So to finish today, think about the last time you witnessed to someone, in whatever capacity. How central was Jesus to what you said? How can you make sure that you always keep him central? Thursday, September 10, Mission and Multiculturalism Multiculturalism is a recent term, first appearing in print in the 1960s, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. For many ancient peoples, there were only two categories of humanity, us and them, our tribe and not our tribe. For Greeks, all non-Greeks were barbarians. For Jews, all non-Jews were Gentiles. As we have seen already, the success of the Gentile mission forced the infant church and its leadership to deal with the Jew-Gentile divide. The question at heart was whether a Gentile could become a Christian without first becoming a Jew. Question. Read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. What happened here? And how does this account illustrate in its own way the challenge of multiculturalism in outreach and mission? Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 to 17. Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. 
and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man, for those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. They desired also that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 198, When Peter at a later date visited Antioch, he won the confidence of many by his prudent conduct toward the Gentile converts. For a time he acted in accordance with the light given from heaven. He so far overcame his natural prejudice as to sit at table with the Gentile converts. But when certain Jews who were zealous for the ceremonial law came from Jerusalem, Peter injudiciously changed his deportment toward the converts from paganism. This revelation of weakness on the part of those who had been respected and loved as leaders left a most painful impression on the minds of the Gentile believers. The church was threatened with division. End of quote. Paul faced the issue with Peter and took a firm stand for what today could be called a multicultural church. His Gentile converts would not have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. Paul's complex background as a devout Pharisee, student of Rabban Gamaliel, Roman citizen, fundamentalist persecuting zealot, and finally convert and apostle of Jesus Christ, eminently qualified him to distinguish timeless, unchanging divine absolutes on one hand and their temporary cultural and religious vehicles on the other.
And so to finish today, how do you distinguish between the essentials of our faith and purely cultural, social or even personal preferences? Friday, September 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23 read, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23 in the New International Version. Modern missionology applies the term contextualization to Paul's mission methods stated here. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings." Contextualization is defined as, this is, in a, this is by Daryl Whiteman in Contextualization, The Theory, The Gap, The Challenge, published in the International Bulletin of Missionary Research, Volume 21, January 1997, and from page 2. Contextualization is defined as attempts to communicate the gospel in word and deed and to establish the church in ways that make sense to people within their local cultural context, presenting Christianity in such a way that it meets people's deepest needs and penetrates their worldview, thus allowing them to follow Christ and remain within their own culture. And as Ellen White writes in Acts of the Apostles, page 197, the Jewish Christians living within sight of the temple naturally allowed their minds to revert to the peculiar privileges of the Jews as a nation. When they saw the Christian church departing from the ceremonies and traditions of Judaism and perceived that the peculiar sacredness with which the Jewish customs had been invested would soon be lost sight of in the light of the new faith, Many grew indignant with Paul as the one who had, in a large measure, caused this change. Even the disciples were not all prepared to accept willingly the decision of the council. Some were zealous for the ceremonial law, and they regarded Paul with disfavour because they thought that his principles in regard to the obligations of the Jewish law were lax. End of quote. And that brings us to our two discussion questions today. 1. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under 
the law. What lessons can we draw from these words that can help us to understand and contextualize how we do mission, or even how we can do personal ministry and witness? And question two, despite Paul's sinful, even shameful past, God forgave Paul and used him in a mighty way. How can we learn to forgive ourselves for what we might have done and, claiming the righteousness of Christ as our own, seek to be used mightily of him as well? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Stolen Sermons, Part 1 and it's by Gamini Mendes I wanted to call a meeting of all the clergy in my town in Sri Lanka I thought we needed to pray and fellowship together I reviewed the list to be sure I hadn't forgotten any pastor I knew that some of the clergy wouldn't be happy that I was inviting the Seventh-day Adventist pastor for they thought Seventh-day Adventists were part of a cult but I wanted to include every minister. I hadn't met many of the clergy before, and it was a good chance to talk with them. I was especially interested to learn more about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. When the Adventist pastor told me that his church worshipped on Saturday instead of Sunday, I was intrigued. But my interest was for a purely selfish reason. I decided to visit the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Saturday and listen to the pastor's sermons then I could use his material to help me preach a sermon on Sunday. It would save me a lot of work. The next Saturday I visited the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was warmly welcomed by the pastor and his congregation. I listened carefully to the sermon and took careful notes. The following day I preached the same sermon I'd heard in the Seventh-day Adventist Church with just a few minor changes. This makes my life so much easier, I thought. The next Saturday I went to the Seventh-day Adventist Church again and took notes from the sermon. I used those notes to preach to my congregation on Sunday. The next week it was the same. Saturday night I went to sleep smiling at my brilliant idea to save work. During the night I awakened feeling a sudden sharp pain in my shoulder. I jumped up and turned on the light. I had been bitten by a snake. My wife and I frantically searched for the snake in our room, but we couldn't find it. My wife took me to the hospital, but we couldn't tell the doctors what kind of snake it was, so they were not able to give me the right anti-venom treatment. I lost consciousness, and the doctor thought I had died. I was taken to the mortuary, and my brother brought a coffin. My family and friends started weeping over my body. After some time, someone touched me. Perhaps they felt warmth where the skin should have been cold. But they checked and found I still had a weak pulse. Excitedly, they rushed me into the hospital's intensive care unit. And that's where we stop today. The rest of the story is next week. I guess this is one way to make sure that we study the lesson next week so we can just hear the end of the story. Or maybe because it's such a fascinating story. Have a great Sabbath. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, 
God is always faithful.